this, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What would Paul have done with email and Twitter and Facebook? Can you imagine his Facebook account or his Twitter account? I think that this letter and these things we've got here indicate why um, New Testament Christianity to some degree would have struggled with these things because uh, New Testament Christianity was very much a person-to-person thing. And you could, for example, stay at home and listen to a sermon online. You could pick and choose different things. You can, you can get lots of worship CDs. You know, today of all days, in one sense, you don't need to go to church for all the things you get at church except this. You don't get the collective presence of the people of God. And in church, you don't get to choose who you worship with. Um, and that is very, very, very important. And I think that uh, what we've got just in these few verses, some things that are really, really important for us as a fellowship. Now, letters in ancient times concluded with personal greetings and requests. So we might begin a letter, you know, dear John, how are you? In, in the t- Paul's time, what they would have done was the how are you would have been asked at the end, the personal greetings and the request. And in that, even in that, Paul is very concerned with the Christian life and, and witness of both himself and of those who receive it. So he, he asked for certain things. Number one is this. He asked for prayer. Paul, he said, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Pray for us. Now, it's fascinating when you go through the New Testament letters of Paul, how often he asks for prayer. 2 Thessalonians 3.1, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people for not everyone has faith. Romans 15.30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Ephesians 6.19, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Colossians 4.3, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience, Hebrews 13, 18, and desire to live honorably in every way. Paul, you know, we're so used to hearing this, pray for us. Think about this for a minute. Paul had great gifts. He was undoubtedly the preeminent person in the church throughout most of the known world. And yet he keeps writing to people and saying, please pray for me, pray for me. Pray for me and pray for the work of the gospel. Now, there are two challenges I want to put to you there. First of all, I want you to think of our dear brother Sinclair, who this past week has been preaching in the um, gospel coalition to 5,000, 6,000, I don't know how many thousand ministers and so on. And uh, Sinclair, as you know, is a tremendous preacher. He's phenomenally gifted. 
And I, I don't know if, you, if you're allowed to rate these things, but he's my favorite preacher in the English language. Sorry to the rest of you who are here who are preachers. Um, and, you know, I, I n- it never crossed my mind, really. Ah, Sinclair. You know, and it's funny because you, you have the privilege. Paul never had this. Paul was not Facebooking or periscoping from Corinth to Rome, but I was listening to Sinclair. And, I, and then the th- just preparing for this, I thought, do you know this? Sinclair's useless as a preacher without the Spirit of God. The door has to be opened and we, we should pray. And I know that he would covet our prayers. And I realized I was just relying on gifts rather than prayers. Maybe here's another challenge. It's not necessary to say who. You could probably work out who, but there was an elderly couple came to the church here. And um, at that time, there weren't very many elderly people. Uh, we have more now. It was, we were an unusual church because we desperately needed older people and we couldn't find them. They wouldn't come. Um, I don't know. We just, got, we just kept getting younger people. And other churches had a different problem. But our problem was we didn't have older people. And the few that we did have, they were like a youth fellowship in a normal church. They were the troublemakers. I mean, no. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. No, but, you know, they were, they were, they were the ones who were different, you know. And, and it's like in the youth fellowship, you've got a church with a tiny number of young people. And they're the ones who are different. You know, and they, they want to sing praise songs and do different things. And, and our, our older people, our small group of older people at that point, they used to meet and have a particular Bible study, and they were the ones who were doing exclusive psalms and, and so on. They were the rebels. Um, but this elderly couple came along, and I went to visit them after they started coming, and they were concerned that they couldn't come to the church because they wouldn't be any use. Because of age and infirmity, they couldn't get involved in things. That's what they thought. And in their previous church, they'd had an experience where basically they'd been told, you're not wanted here because you're too old. And I listened to them. I listened to their story. And I said, what can you do? They said, pray. And I just looked and and I laughed and I said, come on. You're older Christians, you're serious Christians. You have to know that what you've just told me is completely ridiculous. What do you mean you can do nothing? And then what can you do? You can pray. And all I can say, since that day, this couple have been consistently and regularly in prayer. And many younger people have been in their homes for meal. And, and uh, even as I went out the door this morning, they came up to me and said, well, just because you're in Australia, I won't stop us praying for you every day. Well, I kind of relied on it. And it's really, really important. You don't have prayer to support the work of God. Prayer is the work. And we need to to grasp that and remember it. So when Paul says, brothers, pray for us, he's not just going, ah, here's a throwaway remark. It's like a Christian cliche. He really means it because he knows he can't do it. And I would ask you that personally when we're away for... Uh, three months. I mean, I would ask for prayer all the time, but uh, I think in proclaiming the word of God, pray for us. Then there's a second thing. Look what he says. Greet all the brothers or the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. That's the bit that as a child, you know, when we read the story of Jehu and, and Jezebel and so on, somebody said, that's quite horrific for the children. I don't know. This was more horrific for me as a child. Um, the holy kiss that you would get from the elderly ladies or your granny or something as a, as a young boy. Ugh. Um, 
And that, what, what is this holy kiss? Well, it's really, I find this actually quite fascinating. So forgive me just a little digression in explaining this. In, in the world of Paul's day, you kiss the hand or the breast or the knee or the foot of a superior. Somebody who was more superior to you, that's what you did. But if you kiss someone on the cheek, they were a friend. Almost anywhere else was a um, superior. Herodotus mentions kissing the lips as a custom of the Iranians or the Persians. And the Jews began to do that. So that when you're in the New Testament, Luke 7.45, when a host invited a guest, they would kiss them as they came in the door. In the early church, it's generally assumed that men kiss men and women kissed women and that the kiss was on the cheek. But Tertullian, at the end of the second century, uh, speaks of a wife exchanging a kiss with any one of the brothers. Um, In the New Testament church, it wasn't a liturgical thing. It was just a a way of greeting. But often it, it did become to be included in the Holy Communion. And then, of course, as with all these things, it could get out of hand. And there's a letter from a church father called Clement of Alexandria, which I, I sorry, I find I found this quite amusing. He complains of those who make the churches resound with their kissing, and goes on to talk about the shameless use of a kiss occasions foul suspicions and evil reports. And because it became open to abuse, by the time you get to the fourth century, then it was restricted to. Uh, men to kiss men and women to kiss women. It's interesting again because culturally it varies so much, doesn't it? Um, When I go to the Netherlands it was, you you kiss people three times uh, and then I think, no, in the Netherlands it was twice and in France it was three times. And then in in the Mediterranean countries uh, I found that men kiss men and it was no problem at all. And uh, the first time that happened to me in Scotland, I wanted to thump the guy uh, because, you know, I, I, well, but that's, you know, it's amazing how the cultural things come in there. But it was a way of greeting, and Paul is associating himself with greeting, and it's in the New Testament in other places, Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. 1 Corinthians 16.20s, all the brother and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Peter 5.14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. I think you can contextualize it to the culture. Um, was it J.B. Phillips who, as a good Englishman, greet one another with a hearty handshake? <laughs> and, um, someone else, my daughter told me once, taught me how to do a man hug. What's the difference between a man hug and so on? Uh, so greet one another with a man hug. How, how we greet one another. But I, you know, this greet one another with a holy kiss, this showing affection to people within the church, it is actually important. I had this impression Now, those of you who are from the island of Lewis, please forgive me for this. I had this impression of people from the island of Lewis as being incredibly austere. Holy and good people, many of them, but the church, very austere. And so, before I married Annabelle, I wanted to check out her people first. So, I'm glad she's not here. (laughs) And I hitchhiked round Lewis, which was fabulous. 
because in a day I hitchhiked right around it three times because everyone picked me up and everyone offered me food and I thought this is like heaven on earth for hitchhikers anyway. And uh, I remember going to the prayer meeting at night. I put up a tent in a wee campsite and I went into the prayer meeting in Stornoway Free Church which was in a thing called the seminary which could hold several hundred. And what I remember about it was I I turned up in my jeans and shirt because you don't take, um, you know, suit and tie when you're hitchhiking uh, with a tent. So I turned up with my jeans and shirt and of course everyone is immaculately dressed except me. And I was in the free church college at the time and I thought, oh, nobody, thank goodness nobody knows me. Anyway, in the way they do the prayer meeting, Murdo Alec stood up at the front, several hundred people, and he said, Robertson, lead us in prayer. So I stood up and thought, oh, there's another Robertson here. Robertson, Edinburgh, lead us in prayer. And I stood up, and I'm still standing there. Everyone's standing because they were standing for the prayer. And I'm thinking, oh, I wish this guy would hurry up and get on with it. <laughs> Robertson, Edinburgh, please lead us in prayer. And then one of the elders came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, it's you. He means you. And I was so embarrassed. And I, I, I didn't know what to do. And I started praying, and I knew that they used the in now, and I tried to use the in now, and I got all mixed up and used you and everything. I wished that the ground would open up and swallow me. Benedictions pronounced, I head for the door to get out as quick as I could, but there's nobody like Lewis people for getting out of church quick, and I was headed off at the door by two elderly ladies dressed in black from head to toe, and I am not kidding you, they, were, they looked so fierce, and, and I thought, I've, they're coming for me, I've, I've got to get out, so I went, and they got me, Mr. Robertson, I said, yes, and I was getting ready. And they came up and both of them gave me a big kiss on the lips. <laughs> and I, I thought, what? <laughs> that was worse almost than anything they could have done. And they said, it was so lovely to hear you praying. And they were so nice and they invited me home. Come back for a wee cuppa. And I thought, oh, that would be great. Wee cuppa. Ah, you had the cuppa and then was bacon and eggs with it as a wee side snack to go with it. And I thought, I love these people. I'm, I'm going to marry Annabelle this is, uh, <laughs> if this is what it's like. But... In that, just in that thing, it was, it, it, it's, it was just the genuine affection for a Christian brother and sister. Now, we, not, we may not be very tactile people, and some of you are and some of you aren't. And of course, there's an inappropriate way and a, an appropriate way, which is why he says holy. But when we greet one another, it is right to show affection. And that's all that he's simply saying. So you pray, you greet. Thirdly, he says, read. Now, when he says, uh, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers, there's a change in the tense that's used here. And it's clear that what's happened here is that Paul has done what he often does at the end of his letters. How he wrote his letters was he would have a secretary that he would dictate it to. But at the end, Paul would pick up the pen so, for example, 2 Thessalonians 3.17, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. So you get a letter from Paul written by a secretary, and at the end, he would write a little bit in his own uh, style. This is how I write, he says. Galatians 6.11, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Now, what's interesting about this is he, he uses a word which means he, he, he's solemnly charging them to read it. Now, why? Was it read out loud during a service? Was it read in place of a sermon? But why is he, we don't know any of that, why is he insisting that it be read to everybody and that he charges them to do it? 
because he was concerned, I think, that there was a false messages, if you like, fake news, didn't start with the internet, that was being spread about him. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we urge you not to become uneasily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So someone was standing up and reading a letter and saying, this is from Paul, and he says, the day of the Lord has already come. Paul says, no, no, don't be unsettled by that. That's not true. So he was, it's possible that he was concerned about false teaching, but I think mainly it's because he didn't want anyone to be left out. And he didn't want people to be told, as has happened in the Christian church, don't be reading that, Paul, he's too dangerous. He charged his letter to be read in the church and no one to be left out. And Paul's letters, like uh, the rest of the Bible, should be read today. And I think the point is for, here is that for Paul... This was his way of personally connecting with the congregation if he wasn't able to be with them and to get to them. And I think that is because Paul is, realizes that Christianity and the Christian gospel and what comes of that, there's a connection, there's a bond that comes together in Christ. And there is a love that is shown amongst God's people. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So this reading and this greeting and this praying just stems from the love that God's people have for each other. Now I want to say one thing more about that, but before we do, we're going to sing uh, a song about the love of Jesus. And then we're just going to look at this very last phrase that he uses to end this letter. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. And it's from that love that we have a love that is for one another. Let's stand and sing, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, fast, unmeasured, boundless. Amen. Please be seated. I forgot to mention um, when we were talking about Pertree that, of course, um, Donald MacDonald, who's better known in the free church as Donnie G., uh, his daughter worships with us, Fiona. She's a student here, and we're very grateful for the fellowship we have uh, with her. Also, I want to say just ab- about the greeting thing, just a, just a couple of other things. There was a uh, report out this week from the British Medical Association warning doctors about being too tactile with their patients and saying hugging them or holding their hand was inappropriate for a doctor, which is kind of sad to be honest. Um, I know that when I was in Nine Wells, uh, having a doctor or a nurse hold my hand was actually incredibly comforting. And I just thought, what a world that we live in that's over-sexualized on the one hand, and because it's over-sexualized, normal human contact. But there is something in that for the church as well. Uh, I'm sorry, but I've seen men who never seem to show any physical affection except to young women, and that's just wrong. You know, it's, it's just wrong. You, you, when you see a guy who just, um, it's always the beautiful young women that he wants to hug and nobody else. I'm sorry, that is not what is meant by this in terms of a holy kiss. And uh, I think we have, to, we, we have to do everything, if you like, to be above suspicion in that regard. But uh, part of 
being human and, and loving people is being affectionate. And uh, somebody said to me once, you shouldn't hug the children. It's not good. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I'm, I'll, I'll, I would resign before that happened. You know, the wee kids, you just say, no, you know, go away. I mean, imagine Tabitha running up to me afterwards and saying, no, sorry, go away. Um, okay, if you're 16, maybe not. I don't know. But, you know, so there's, there's the, Paul was just being sensitive, I think, and we have to be sensitive and be aware. Now, note what he does here at the end. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace be with you. The normal farewell for a letter, for a, a Greek letter, or a Jewish letter, was actually, was actually farewell. That was it. Bye, I'm gone. And instead, he finishes with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I think Jesus is Lord and the source of grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus. We say it so easily, it's so, it trips off our tongues, it's, it's a religious cliche it, it, that it can often become meaningless, but there's nothing more profound that you can wish to anybody than that they would have the grace of Jesus Christ being with them. Much grace, we read of the early church, was upon them all. Now, as you know, um, I am due to go on a sabbatical for uh, three months, and I do so with a certain degree of trepidation. I, I hate uh, being away from the congregation here. I love getting away. It's like home, isn't it? You love going on holiday, but you love coming back home if you've got a decent home. Um, and I, uh, I love meeting other people and so on, but I'll be counting the days uh, to returning and one of the reasons for that is just the sense of, of love and affection that I have for you all. And I do mean you all. Uh, in a Christian, in a family, in any normal family, basically every one of your siblings annoys you. In a normal, in a normal family, maybe some of you live in a perfect family, but um, most of us find that the people in our family are the ones who can most hurt us and the ones who frustrate us and the ones who annoy us. And I think that's true within a Christian family. And I think it is quite remarkable how God works within a church and how the devil, as Robin was stressing to us a while ago, always seeks to disunite. And yet God comes and he, through all the troubles and all the difficulties, God comes and uh, works in our midst. And I believe that the Lord uh, has been at work in some extraordinary ways and some ordinary ways as well. And sometimes you go to, I go to the door, particularly in the evening, and m- meet people and uh, one person in particular usually just shakes their head and just goes, wow, isn't it great to be part of God's family and to hear God's word being proclaimed? And it is. But it's a hard slog and we have to work at it. And we have to pray for one another and we have to love one another and we have to long for the grace of Jesus Christ to be upon each one of us. It's funny, um, in, I, thought, I, I thought long and hard before telling you this but I thought I would tell you it anyway. Uh, came here in 1992 uh, and uh, was meant for a period of four years, possibly up to ten and God blessed the congregation and so on. And then in 1999, I, I, thought, I thought that was it. That was the end. It was done. And God had other plans. And then in 2007, I remember um, 
I remember myself and Annabelle just saying, we're, we're probably done. There was kind of difficulties and troubles in the wider denomination, and I thought, well, will we survive? And we did, and then in 2011, for a different reason, because of health reasons, I, I didn't know if I'd be able to continue uh, working as the minister here. And there have been one or two other occasions as well. And each time, God has uh, challenged and provoked and worked uh, in our midst and in my own heart so that I become more aware of how inadequate uh, I am in terms of being a pastor in this church, but also just so immensely thankful for what the Lord has done in so many different ways. And that's what I look at. Um, the Lord helps. The Lord brings his grace. Eric Alexander, some of you will know, is an, another fine preacher. He was from, also from the Tron. Uh, Sinclair was there with him for a while. And Eric would occasionally come here when he lived in St. Andrews, usually when there was a children's service at his church because he hated them. <laughs> but maybe I shouldn't have told you that either. <laughs> and he, he came here and uh, I loved uh, Eric and his wife and I went over to see them one week, uh, and he said to me, David, he said, I love what's happening. The congregation here was only about 40 or 50 people. And he said, I love what's happening. And he said, God is going to bless you, and you will come under enormous pressure to stop doing what you're doing. And I said, what are you, what are you talking about? And he said, he said, well, you're just preaching the Bible. And I said, yes, that's, I, don't, I don't really know how to do anything else. I haven't a clue. I'm not very good at strategies and things. And so I just teach what the Bible says. And he said, keep doing it. But as God blesses you and as the congregation grows, you'll come under enormous pressure to deviate in lots of different ways. And he just, he gave me this kind of solemn charge, you know, just don't ever stop teaching the Bible. And I think that's what God blesses. I think it's not particularly great gifts. McShane said it wasn't great gifts, but great likeness to Christ. But I would say this, I think that it is, uh, as we teach the word of God, that's what works in your lives and in my life. And that's what brings about this fellowship where there is mutual prayer, where there is affection and love, where there is the grace of Jesus Christ upon us all. So I'd like to, on behalf of myself and Annabel, thank you for your kindness. There's a letter there that expresses that uh, a bit more. Please do take uh, a copy of it. I would covet your prayers as we go away and please be assured we will be in prayer for uh, you, and uh, I long to see this church growing and being renewed. And can I also say this, especially to the younger people, and I mean those of you who've grown up in the church who I have baptized, and you're now much, much older, or getting older. Uh, you've got a long way to go yet, God willing. But... Uh, God has placed you in this place as a young person and he's done it for a reason and one of the, the primary reason is that you may come to know him. Don't presume upon it. Give your life to follow Jesus while you are young. Don't listen to the devil when he says, nah, nah, do that later, do it later. Don't, don't do it later. Do it now, follow him. And those of us who are older, we're never too late to renew our commitment to following the Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. 
May your grace be upon us. Lord, help us to pray for one another. Help us to love one another. Help us to support and help one another. Help us to forgive one another, to bear with one another, to carry one another's burdens and so fulfill your law. And may your grace be upon us in your name. Amen. We're going to finish by singing the song, the the benediction that we sang this morning. Uh, May the peace. And since we sang it this morning, you will all know it, so we won't need to go through it. May the peace of God, our Heavenly Father, and the grace of Christ the risen Son. Let's stand and sing this and then please.